will be your next partner, Joe? asked my closest friend Agnes Pittman during the supper break at a ball not many months after these events transpired. I imagine your dance card is full again tonight. You are quite the most popular young lady in wallet in these days. Yes, my card is full, as I would warrant is yours. Uh, Mr. Freddie Hopkins is next on my list, I said, absently picking at the cold ham on my plate. Oh, yes, Freddie's an excellent dancer, and I think he has taken quite a shine to you, my dear. I have more than once heard him sing your praises up to the stars. Empty flattery. Six months ago he gave me no notice at all, so how can I suppose that his interest is sincere now? Oh, his interest is sincere, all right. I stand corrected. I should have said that his interest in me is suspect. I make no doubt his interest in my money is quite genuine indeed. Now, Josephine, you cannot truly be surprised by his behaviour. You are no simpleton. You understand how the game is played. Yes, although I'm not at all certain I wish to play it, I said, rising from the table. Agnes likewise abandoned the remains of her supper and followed me back in the direction of the ballroom. What? Do you find men so very unappealing? On the contrary, some of them I like uncommonly well. So then? Then let them behave like rational creatures instead of hungry wolves. I would respect them all the more for it. Really, Josephine, how you carry on. And do stop calling me that. You sound exactly like my father when he's cross with me about something. Just as you wish, then, Joe. (laughs) But I do not understand why you insist on being so difficult to please. Enjoy your new power over men and make the most of your advantage. That is my advice. She paused to return the admiring look of a passing gentleman. I doubt you will hear Pamela Hurst complaining when men run after her because of her beauty. Why should you object when they chase you for your money? As long as it achieves the desired result, what is the difference if a girl's fortune is in her face and figure or in the funds? (laughs) When you put it like that, I suppose there is no difference between the two. Both are equally artificial. There now, have I not set your mind at ease? It is all a matter of how you look at the thing. Agnes concluded with satisfaction. I had to smile at her manner of reasoning. From it, I could see there was nothing to be gained by debating the point any further. Yes, of course, I answered lightly, setting aside my peevishness. After all, nothing should be allowed to interfere with the pure enjoyment of a ball. If the circumstances were somewhat ridiculous, so much the better, for then the more easily might I find humor in them. Agnes and I parted ways as the music from the string and woodwind ensemble at the top of the room resumed. An eager Mr. Hopkins arrived to claim my hand, leading me out onto the polished wood floor. As we went about our business, I was not surprised to discover him quite unequal to the task of sustaining his share in the conversation. I admit it, my mind soon wandered from my partner and my eyes did likewise. I began by absently surveying the room. Yet, before long, without any conscious design, my perusal took a more specific turn. I scanned over the heads of the crowd for a tall, fair-haired man with a friendly countenance and a familiar form. Where was Arthur? I had seen him earlier, so I knew he must be somewhere about. Arthur Evensong would have been a much more pleasing partner for me. He was no flatterer.
He instead paid me the higher compliment of treating me as an equal. I had by no means any special claim upon Arthur. In fact, everyone in Wallerton acknowledged him to be Agnes's rightful property, the parents of the two having long since settled the matter and the couple themselves showing every inclination toward the match. Yet Agnes would not have begrudged me a share of his attention, and I would have been grateful for it at that moment. For, if he had chosen to do so, it would have been in Arthur's power to keep the wolves at bay. As it was, I felt the greedy creatures closing in, circling and weaving all about me on the dance floor as if I were a plump rabbit ready for the taking. Still, picturing the unsuspecting Mr. Hopkins and the others festooned with large pointed ears and bushy tails poking out from under their cutaway coats gave me considerable amusement. I eyed my partner and thought, yes, we may have some sport together, the hunter and the hunted, but this is one rabbit who has no intention of being caught, at least not yet, and not by the likes of you. Mr. Hopkins was succeeded by several others of similar bent before I found myself unexpectedly at liberty. John Franklin, having sprained his foot, was obliged to forfeit his turn. Since the last thing I wanted at that juncture was to attract a replacement partner, I quietly eased myself away from the group of dancers, melted through the crowd of onlookers, and did my best to disappear into my surroundings. I had nearly made good my escape into the next room when a man addressed me from behind. Joe? I started, momentarily cringing at the sound of my own name. Just as quickly, I relaxed again and turned round when I realized the warm baritone voice belonged to Arthur Evensong. Why do you steal away into the parlor, Miss Walker? he continued with a spark of amusement. You truly have the look of a fugitive skulking about in dark holes and corners. Have you committed a dreadful social faux pas, or are you hiding from someone particularly annoying? Which is it? (laughs) The latter is a more accurate surmise, I answered with a laugh. I finally have a dance free, and I'm determined to keep it that way. What a pity, for I would have gladly asked you and there is no one here with whom I would rather dance, old friend. Will you not stay and talk with me instead? Let us sit down. My feet are grievously in need of rest. Entering the deserted parlour, Arthur led the way to seats at its farthest reaches, where it was comparatively quiet. A minimum of candles had been deployed there, and the dimness gave a soothing relief from the relative brilliance of the ballroom. Oh, what a pleasant reprieve this is, said I, stretching my feet out in front of me. I'm surprised to hear you speak, sir. I thought surely you must be enjoying yourself this evening, for you have never been in want of a partner, of that much I'm certain. Is it not every young woman's idea of bliss to be the belle of the ball? Oh, I love to dance. The livelier the music, the better I like it. Still, I am tired and a little disappointed with the quality of the company. I would much rather spend the evening with you and Tom, but I suppose that would not do. I cannot dance with my own brother, and Agnes would never spare you so long. Although, in truth, you do seem to be neglecting her tonight, even without my interference. I've only seen you dance with her twice. You accuse me of skulking? I suspect, Mr. Evensong, it is you who has been hiding. (gasps) 
Good heavens, I said, feigning shock. Surely it cannot be Agnes that you are avoiding. This taunt had the anticipated effect. A great blush, starting from Arthur's crisp white cravat, suffused scarlet to the tops of his ears. Well, you've done it again, Joe. My face is burning. I hope you're satisfied. Oh, now do not be cross, Arthur. I count it as a marvellous, almost magical thing, the way you colour at the slightest provocation. I have found it quite irresistible ever since we were children, as you well know. I suppose I'm only annoyed because I have no means to retaliate. You seem peculiarly immune to the frailty yourself, which is a shame. It certainly would become you much better than it does me. The irritation in his countenance faded, along with the redness. As for Agnes, she would have me standing up with her for every dance if she could, which would be highly improper since, despite what everybody may think, we are not formally engaged. Ah, so you would spare her reputation. How chivalrous of you, sir. She may dance with whomever she pleases, and she must grant me the same freedom of choice, my preference being to remain mostly in the background. Well, in this case, I'm glad you were waiting in the background and that I stumbled upon you. At least I can have you to myself for these few minutes. I never see you any more, Arthur. Why have you stopped coming to the house? It is not by my own inclination that I stay away, he said in a more solemn tone. Your father has made it clear, well, we all understand that your circumstances are entirely different now. Others must command your attention at present. Many things have changed, yes, but some things never should. I shall always remember my true friends, and I hope they will do the same for me. You cannot believe me so weak as to lose my sense and forget my loyalties over money. It's not just the money, though, is it? The attention and the expectations accompanying your inheritance are powerful forces. They cannot help but alter you. To my mind, it is not my behavior that is altered. It is yours and everybody else's. I took a deep breath before continuing. Now, Arthur, I must return to the dance. Will you not shake hands with me before I go and say you are still my friend? He took my hand and met my gaze with his startlingly blue eyes. Of course I'm your friend, Joe, now and always. Nothing shall ever change that.